0: You are listening to Mounted to Glen, the podcast. everyone, and happy new year. Um, one thing that occurred to me, I've never actually introduced myself during the previous few podcasts, so uh, welcome to Mountain the Glen, and I'm your host, Robert Farley. If anyone has been following me on Facebook, our Instagram, and Twitter, you're aware that I've, I've taken on my own um, New Year's resolution. I'm having a crack at climbing all the county high pints during the course of 2022. If you've had any outdoor uh, New Year's resolutions, it would be great if you could just email us and let us know what they are and we could share them with the, with the rest of the listeners. Uh, another thing is I want to give a big shout out to the Camping Crew podcast, who did a nice little blog for me there recently. I uh, really appreciate it. And I have started listening to that one. And believe me, if you're into motorhomes and camping vans, it is definitely the podcast for you. So I would highly recommend that. And last but not least, DePaul Ireland is doing a 10,000 steps a day challenge in February. Their hopes is for each participant to raise about 200 euro. If you are interested and you want to check it out, you can check on their website ie.depaulcharity.org. And I will put that up on the Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages afterwards, just in case you are interested. There's separate links for those of you who are going to be joining us from the Republic of Ireland and those of you who will be joining us from Northern Ireland. Time to move on to the reason we are here. the interview this evening is with Bill Murphy. He's a professional forester with a master's degree in forest recreation and was Head of Recreation, Environment and Public Goods with Quilcha until June 2015, with responsibility for the company's recreation and environmental programs. Bill initiated the Wild Neffin Wilderness Project in 2010, and was the first Chair of the Wild Neffin Management Board until he left Quilce in 2015. Since then, Bill has been exploring the experience of wilderness as a management tool, and how a perspective of wilderness is influenced by our cultural history. Bill's other interests include volunteer train work and he is the found, one of the founder members of Mountain Meho. He also likes hiking, swimming and reading. Bill, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks Robert, good to be here. Well we're here this much to talk about wilderness and um, I suppose the first question I'm, I'm just going to throw out at you is what does wilderness mean to you? The word, the meaning?
1: Well I've, I've spent the last couple of years, well the last several years You know, looking at what wilderness means and what I've actually come to to learn is that it means a lot of different things to different people. And Mm. one of the aspects of what I've been looking at is is how different cultures influence uh, how we think of wilderness. But sort of the, the short answer to your question is, I think wilderness is a place where human management of the landscape or where human intervention is, is really non-existent, if at all possible. Now, they're not necessarily, I think there's, the, there's a lot of discussion about whether they're natural places or whether they're wild places. And I think those two things are, are a little bit different. And wild places are places that we can decide where humans are not going to intervene. And in Europe, we are increasingly talking about wilderness and we're talking about things like secondary wilderness. So there's parts of Ireland where there may have been human habitation in, in times gone by, or for example, in the Highlands of Scotland before the clearances. And those places are now, there, there's no, virtually no human management on the areas or human interference. And for me, they're, they're the places that can become wilderness in a European context you know, we're living in an, a- an era where humans can basically influence any part of the of the planet they want to. Mm-hmm. But it, for for me, wilderness is a place where humans show humility in the face of nature. We're not the ones that know all the answers. We, we shouldn't be trying to manage these places. But there are also places where we can learn about ourselves. And, you know, coming as a person who's primarily interested in outdoor recreation, there are places where we can experience humility. You know, the famous Irish naturalist Prager, he wrote about, for example, the area that I worked on in Mayo, the Neffin Wilderness. And when he talked about it, he talked about facing it with humility and where we're thrown forward against the immensity of the universe and yet back on, on, on our own smallness. And, and for me, that's what, what wilderness is and what it can be. And I think it's, it's an idea that's worth exploring in Europe. We don't necessarily have to have the same approach to wilderness as they have in places like Montana or in Alaska, but there is there is something that we can explore. So you know, it's a place where humans are. You know, to, to sum up, is humans are are not the major driving force, and and that's something we take as a sense of humility in the face of nature.
0: And just on that, what would uh, constitute wilderness? We said that each country in its own way has its own variation of, of wilderness.
1: Well, one of the things I've been looking at over in that, you know, there, there is a there is a European move to look at what does, you know, can. In, in 2009, the European Parliament called on different member states of the European Union to set aside areas of wilderness. Now, then the, the, the Parliament decided to set up a working group and look at what what this would mean. And they've basically come down on two criteria. One is it's about naturalness, um, so the area should be natural. We're missing various species in in, uh, in European habitats, and even in North America, you know, where places that they are missing maybe keystone species like the wolves may not be there, and um, so they're not entirely natural. And the other idea is that they should be remote, remote from places. What I've been looking at is that. We should be able to also overlay on that is the whole idea about how people experience wilderness and i think that different cultures in europe will have different responses to to how people experience wilderness for example if you look at finland the Finns have a very strong understanding about wilderness a very strong uh, connection to wilderness they have a word in the finnish language which is called erma and to them And to the Sámi people, particularly to the Sámi people who live in in Lapland, wilderness is not a place apart. It's the place they live in, but they have very little impact on the environment. So for the Finnish culture, it's a very, very strong part of the Finnish culture and they are connected very much to it. We tend to have a little bit more of what I could all, an Anglo-American idea of wilderness where there are no humans or humans are not part of it or cannot be in the landscape and there's a lot of debate around what that means because that's the outworking of a sort of a, a colonial and an a, an imperial imposition on the landscape where you know the seven cavalry moved in and they they moved the indians off so that's why there's mm. nobody in the landscape so i think there's different cultures we have a we have a different connection to to the landscape and to wild areas. And I do think in Ireland we have a particularly strong understanding of wild areas that goes back to pre-Christian times and to Christian times. For example, you know, a lot of the, the settlements, the monastic settlements were basically wilderness settlements where the holy men went to places like Skellig Michael or they went to Glendalough to experience being in nature and being close to to the divine. And that's a very old, early Christian tradition. And some of that has has kind of continued, even the way people climb Patrick. It's it's kind of climbing a mountain to be in a wilder place. So we have a particular perspective on it. It's different from how the Finns think about wilderness, or it's different from how the, the English see the landscape and their wild landscapes, uh, and they do have some wild landscapes, or the British see their landscapes. So I, I kind of argue that we don't just have one model for the entire European Union. We should have models of wilderness that are nuanced to our cultural history and the way we see it. I mean, the impact of the famine, the various land acts, the way we look at land in Ireland, all influence how we see land. See the landscape, which is very different from, say, how the Germans see the landscape. Because again, wild, the wild forest, the wild wood, you know, the wild animals that live in the forest—they're very important parts of Central European theories about landscapes. So that—that's kind of why I think we need to have a a, a discussion about it in in the Euro, in the in the European wilderness community. And I think we should be looking at that and how we define it because there are places in ireland where i can go for example to the neffens and experience a sense of wilderness of what the wilderness advocates like like alol leopold or bob marshall or these various people were talking about i can experience that but the place may not be entirely natural because maybe a thousand years ago or 5000 years ago neolithic man was kind of mooching around and he was doing a bit of whatever but i i I think you know we can sometimes set the bar very high for ourselves in these type of places there's again there's talk about restoring landscapes but we, we we don't really know what they were and my perspective on this is we can only go forward we can take the decision to be humble in the face of nature and not to and not to impact it in the future Going back to try and restore something is a lot of human intervention. We still think we can do things with nature to put them back to something. And I think a lot of nature projects have taught us that nature will often just throw a curveball into the mix. I see what you're you're saying
0: there. And like there is one aspect of what you said there. I mean, we, we can't really tell what nature was like a thousand years ago. You couldn't really
1: define that this is what it once was. Well, also, I think under there, you know, I mean, we, you know, you hear a lot of talk about Ireland was once covered with forests. I'm not, I'm not sure that's entirely true. And even what type of forest, you know, if you go again to the west of Ireland, and you go to places like the cage of fields, which are now peatlands, and under those are are pine forests, are Scots pine forests. Uh, or what were the remnants of pine Forests? So the idea that we had these extensive oak forests going from from the East Coast to the West Coast. And, and you know, the, the old idea that a squirrel could walk from tree to tree. Yeah. That, you know, we probably had a lot of fen land. We had open heat land. We had mountaintops. We, we definitely had more forest than we have now. But we also had, um, had other animals that are not here. I mean, you know, the, the great Irish elk. Uh, we had wolves. Um, you know, the last wolf, I think, was was killed in County Carlo, something like in the, the mid-early 18th, early 19th century. So, you know, there were other animals here that are missing now from the ecosystem. So putting the ecosystem back to where it was or what we think it was, we're much better at focusing on functioning ecosystems, which may have other species that are what they call taxon replacements so you know maybe we we begin to accept things like lodgepole pine as a replacement for scots pine you know i know that a lot of people would would be uh not happy to hear that but i think we have to begin to argue those things and think about them because there is a sort of a debate that everything that's native is good and everything that's non-native is bad as as opposed to looking at the functionality of the different species and you know nativeness can tend to be a little bit arbitrary for example in britain anything that was there before 1500 is now classified as native and anything that was introduced after 1500 is not native now that's purely an arbitrary decision and also we are now living in what's called the geological epoch called the anthropocene and that's when for those people that not too sure what that means it's where humans are the major driver of ecological and geological change so humans are very as i said we can do anything we could build it if we wanted to build a city uh on the north pole we could do it we have one at the south pole we can live there we can live any place you know there's there's human created gases in the atmosphere up in the gates of the arctic and they're probably changing slightly the chemistry of those places and again it's going back to Reducing our impact as much as possible and allowing places that we set aside and say, these are primarily for nature and for us to experience nature in, you know, red and tooth and claw, as the the old saying goes that, you Mm -hmm. know, these are places, these are special places. And we should be picking out the special places that are relatively unmodified by humans and putting them aside and protecting them for the future and allowing people to experience. And and just on um, I suppose just going back
0: to trying to bring back nature how how do you feel on the reintroductions of say species that may have been wiped out uh, you know it doesn't happen overnight it has to go through a process but when that process has gone through would you be in in favour of that as well to some extent
1: well I think you know one of the one of the uh the things we were hoping to do in the Neffens was to was to see say ospreys returning because the area has quite a lot of lakes and it has forests for uh, nesting uh, so you know it, it i i think when people talk about reintroducing wolves there are some species that you can live with and we have to we we do live in a in a on a relatively small island and i think the mm-hmm. idea of reintroducing things like wolves or beavers you know because there's a farming community you know i think Anything that is reintroduced uh, needs to be looked at. You know, is it coming back into what's seen as the same environment from which maybe it was seen to be missing yeah. or or had lived in before? Now, I'm not necessarily opposed to it, but I, I think I I suppose in many ways a lot of nature conservation tends to be focused on on what people might call you know, species, and and uh, I mean, nobody ever wants to reintroduce something like the midge, or, 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 you know, which are probably just as important parts of the ecosystem as the big, the big uh, sort of, um, for want of a better word, the big sexy animals. And, you know, a lot of the debate around nature conservation in Europe is about, you know, big herbivores, um, wolves returning wolves returning across europe is is kind of a sign that places are becoming wilder but they're not necessarily about how the whole ecosystem is is functioning in in my view that's in my view and i think we need to be more looking at the ecosystem as a whole and everything that's in it i mean a, a friend of mine asked me you know well many years ago well it, the nephans are you know they don't have a big carnivore like wolves or bears and i said but you know the midge will, will pick your bones. If you're out there long enough, the midge will be the carnivore of choice for most people. So we should try and bring back the midge then. <laughs> <laughs> bring
0: back the midge, yeah. No, when you mentioned wolves, like I, I could never see the wolf being uh, reintroduced. It would, it would lead to so many problems. People trying to make living on farms and everything. Even to bring something like that back, back in, you you'd have, as you said yourself, like it's, it's coming back into a system that's completely changed from when it left.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, for me, the idea about, um, you know, natural habitats, I think they, they exist on a continuum. You know, they go from urban to what you would call almost, you know, you would call a pristine wilderness where everything is present. Mm. And I think we're we're not on that spectrum. We're on that spectrum, but we're someplace, you know, some of these places are uh, they're less than they're less than natural. And therefore, you know, I would argue that we need to have other measures of what wilderness can mean in Ireland or in Britain or in in some other more developed country. I mean, it's very interesting that the the Germans have a very active program of setting aside one percent of their national territory under their biodiversity strategy they want to set aside 1% of germany as wilderness and another 5% as wild woods and that's you know 6% of the the territory of germany which we would regard as a very populated very developed uh, very in many places urbanized country but yet they have those we don't have we don't have any targets like that and even you know a place like the neffens It hasn't been designated by the National Parks and Wildlife Service, say, as a wilderness area, because that will change how we would manage it. It would make us think about anything we were going to do in there, uh, from, you know, going in on a four-wheel drive vehicle to whether you go in to call or manage or do other things. Because it's about creating a different understanding and a different connection with the landscape.
0: And you've mentioned the Nephens quite a few times there. Um, would you consider the Nephens to be, for Ireland, uh, a, a true wilderness place as far as our country could produce?
1: Yeah, I, I, I do. And I mean, we spent, we did quite a lot of work on it. Um, looking at it, you know, there's there's over 16,000 hectares of mountain, of lake, of, of western peatland. And there are um, areas of conifer forest. But we can decide that that conifer forest can become a wild forest. And, you know, I, I mean, I am slightly biased in that I am I'm a forester, but I think the forest adds a lot to the whole mix of the area. It provides cover for different species. We can allow that become wild. It may not be entirely natural. I, it, it isn't natural, but we can allow it become wild. And that's the distinction I'm saying between, you know, naturalness and wildness and in the early years, it was decided we would do some re-engineering, in the, you know, for 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 ten or fifteen years, opening up areas, you know, heavily thinning the forest, taking out trees, leaving dead trees there, to create the conditions where the forest could begin to regenerate itself on its own. And you know, if trees fell over, they just fell to the ground, they rotted, they they decomposed, and it was it was kind of to be an experiment but the when i go out there i experience you know remoteness i experience challenge i experience solitude i experience freedom i experience a wild landscape so that's why there's an experience of that area i get it and other people that i've brought out there and other people that have gone there they say this is a really wild place and um you know it, it's maybe has you know you're you're very remote from from roads from houses from power lines from you know it, it there's there's no other place i think in ireland that's that has the same qualities as as that landscape has it's it's the best we have and i think we should be looking at it as as you know <clears throat> as slightly different from other national parks because there is a tendency to sort of maybe make national parks more accessible to to tourism and whatever that and i think once we do that we lose that sense of the landscape has of being able to experience this place where you know and you're a hill walker and i'm a hill walker and we know what it's like and you know when your feet get wet and that's just you know your feet get wet and you're wet and it's it's sometimes a day on the hills or, a, or two or three days backpacking it's not all fun and you know to, to a lot of people this might be just misery, but to other people, this is this is just something very, very worthwhile. And it's a challenge. It makes us face what nature is about because we live in a very controlled world now. You know, we we don't ever have to get wet anymore. We don't ever have to feel uncomfortable. And there are places where I think you you know you can experience these type of conditions and experiences. And I think stand out in the middle of the Neffens and you look in all directions, and you know you don't really see human engineering human infrastructure i mean i've camped out there i've camped you know and you don't see any lights except maybe 20 30 kilometers away you don't hear any cars for us in ireland it's a it's it's a, a unique place that i think we should be the national i would love to see the national parks and wildlife service designated as ireland's first wilderness and um, you know because it has the size, sixteen thousand hectares, 40,000 Acres and with with buffers of of a lot of mountain around it, um, it is a place that comes close enough to to experience what what we would experience, uh, in wilderness in other countries.
0: Yeah, I did um the Bangor Trail there uh, a while back and went in into the Neffins. Um, I don't think I was fully ready for for the level of wilderness or the open space that I saw there I, I can totally relate to what you're saying you wouldn't see a light for miles and miles the Bangor trail itself was usually when you're on a waymark trail you know it's 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 very clear cut and and uh, the ground is very clear cut whereas with the Bangor trail there was areas that were rough and um uh, waymark posts you wouldn't want to be dependent on them much at least when I was there either but um yeah I, I was amazed when you're talking about the Nethans as a wilderness place, it's, it's very easy for me to see what you're what you're saying. But it's it, w- it was breathtaking. Now, all right. Now, I, ha- I had planned to. Uh, was with, with friends of mine. We planned to stay in the the hut but um, I, I can assure you, the evening we were there, the midge was definitely <laughs> very much alive. And uh, yeah. so we we said no. And There was a, a body further on down, so we, we kept going till we got there. And by the time we got there, the heavens had opened, so we were rounded. But it was amazing to see it at the same time. Like you no, know, yeah, what, no the
1: the the Banger Trail is probably I I reckon probably the one of the best trails in Ireland, um, and it's just uh, for the challenge. But for the scenery, for the change in weather, for for so much that's there, and as you say, it's not like a lot of Waymark trails in Ireland that are very, fairly, you know, defined on the ground. In a lot of places, the bog has slid down over, you know, because the Banger Trail, as you know, I'm sure you know, it it was a route to come from uh, Bangor Eris to Newport. It was a it was a cattle driving drover route. And you can see it, you can see it if you know what you're looking for, the sort of the old archaeology on the ground. But the bog is slowly sliding down over it, uh recolonizing it, and in places where it's just been washed out totally, it's gone. So yeah, it's 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 a challenge. And there are fantastic mountains around there. You know, there's there's um sleeve carr, and you know, there's the Glenamong Ridge that runs down towards Achill. I mean i just think it's just a wonderful place shouldn't be overselling it now because there be too many people there but <laughs> uh i just think it's it is a place that i think you know if uh if i was the Taoiseach in the morning i'd be asking the national park to look seriously at designating it so uh, but you know maybe it, it, it it's pro- it's protected it's all under you know the land that uh, had been owned by Quailty is now under is has been handed over to the national park so the whole area is now being managed under a national park, so that that that's a good a good uh, set aside for the beginning anyway.
0: Yeah, well, well definitely if anyone is listening to it and they're thinking of doing the Bangor Trail, um, it's it's not a lightweight trail, so run ahead and then get out there and enjoy it. But yeah, yeah. you'll be in for a nice tough but uh amazing experience at the same time. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: and and just on on that as well, uh, talking with other people, what what do you think the benefit? experiencing the wild places would be for for anyone who decides to embrace it in any way shape or form at all at any level i mean especially in these modern times where as you've already said everything is so controlled everything is it's so busy i mean i i think personally it's a very good thing to be able to get out there and leave all that behind but, but
1: what would your thoughts be on that yeah i i mean i think there's been a lot of work done about the value of nature on on um, mental health etc things like that you know i mean there are various levels you know for 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 somebody you know it could be a, a short walk in the forest and then for other people the ability to get away for two or three or four days and to contemplate i mean when you read back on some of the older Or you know the the wilderness advocates of the of the early 20th century I mean when they talk about you know there's there's people like uh, Aldo Leopold and Bob Marshall who was another great he's another great hero of mine or or a guy called Benton Mackay and Benton Mackay was the guy who came up with the idea of the Appalachian Trail and he called that a, a trail through the wilderness and their idea was that these were very important for for citizens of a country to have and a lot of their work was was sort of about the public and the value of things to the public you know there was a tradition that they were upholding which was where in, in europe they thought a sort that you know um and i and i'm o- i'm old enough to remember lots of of uh, no entry signs even on the state forests in in the in the late 50s early 1960s it wasn't until the mid 1960s that the Irish State Forest, welcomed people in. So these places were often seen as the preserve of, of an elite, you know, and a, mm-hmm. if, again, out in places like West Mayo, you have fishing lodges, which were built for, for the land of the states. But now, you know, I think it's much more important that people get out. A colleague, a former colleague of mine, has done a huge amount of work in woodlands for health. And it's it's literally that people are prescribed uh, a former colleague of mine in Quailton is a guy called Charlie Burke, and he set up this program called Woodlands for Health. And people are prescribed to to go for a walk in in the woodlands and they are led by by, uh, you know, uh, someone that has skills and leading people. And some of these people may not never have been in the woods before. They've never walked a trail. They might have only walked, you know, 200 meters to the shop, but they're brought out. And that they will have mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And what they have found, and you know, people were assessed before they went on this program, and they're assessed afterwards. And there's been a huge reduction in, for example, in in suicidal ideation. Uh, people's mood have improved. So this program is is spreading around Ireland. And and people will will see it in in their own counties. Uh, I know it's it's in Wicklow where I am. It's in it's in Dublin, um, and they're they're looking to expand it to other counties. At the moment, it's it's in various other counties. But yeah, I think you know we we know an awful lot more about the value of people engaging with nature, even if it's going down for you know a swim in the sea. You know, you get into the sea and you, you lie back and you look up at the sky and you don't hear anything, only the water in your ears. I, you know, it, it, it's it's uh, it, it's very hard to explain. But I think as humans, we do need this connection because we live in a very frantic world and um, constant communication. Our phones are always going. Uh, we're just being bombarded with, with information, misinformation. Yeah, I mean, these are important places and the work that we did or that I did in in to Recreation and create Outdoors at the time was to try and improve access for people to the outdoors, to make it easy for people to get out there or to find their, their own level of skill. Not all doesn't have to be made easy because there is also the whole issue of challenge. But I, yeah, I would agree. I think it's extremely important and uh, I think we're getting better and it's great to see so many people on the one hand, you're kind of saying, oh, God, there's all these people on on the mountain that I used to come up here and sit on. You know, Logan Aquila. you've been up the I'm sure. And you say, where did all these bloody people come from?
0: But on the other hand,
1: you know, they'd be down in Dundrum Shopping Centre or whatever. And I think they're better up there. And, you know, maybe it's go during the middle of the week instead, uh, instead of the weekend. So, yeah, I, I think it's a great thing.
0: Yeah, and I think as well, like when people start to get out of the outdoors more and they fall in love with it, we follow on that they will be more willing to preserve it for future generations as well. So it's, it's been that awareness and, and that love of it can in, in itself be a great protector for the wilderness. But as you say, yeah, you, you, you don't want hundreds of people going on the same train the same day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I used to have an, in my office when I was working for Quailta a, a quote from, again, Aldo Leopold. and um. If your listeners have, have never read, I mean, he wrote one great book that I tell everybody to read. It's called The Sand County Almanac. It's just such a fantastic book about nature and how we engage with nature and how we should engage with nature. But he also was kind of warning people that were involved in, in outdoor recreation and, you know, building car parks and trails and whatever. And he said the job of, of, of a recreation engineer was not building trails into lovely country. He said it was about building receptivity. Now that's a, a, a funny word, but that's the word he used, into the yet unloving mind. So what he was talking about was it was about getting people out there. It was about introducing them to, to the mountains, to the forest, to the bogs, to all the to the seashore. And then they would, they would become, as you said, they would become advocates for it, but also they would just be they'd have a better quality of life. So it was just a warning I always had there. Like, It's not all about building trails here, there, and every place. It's it's about getting people to to respect and to understand and to love nature where you're bringing them.
0: Yeah. And just coming back to the, the European wilderness, um, how vast would the difference between mainland European wilderness and our wilderness
1: here in Ireland be? Uh, well, I mean... <laughs> There's, there's different, it's interesting. I mean, I've been looking at, for example, there's an Italian Wilderness Association, uh, which have been very actively involved in getting areas designated. But some of those areas are, are quite small. I mean, they could be, you know, a thousand acres. And it's the expansiveness of going back to, to a place like the Neffens Or, you know, there, are, there may be tracks of the former cutover bogs that in in the Midlands that Bord Mona like there's Bord Mona have eighty eight thousand hectares. So imagine if ten thousand hectares of of one of the big bogs was allowed to become wild if they if it flooded and they stopped the pumps and they they just let it come it it would become like the Norfolk Broads it could become this fantastic wild wetland in the middle of Ireland you know again working on a definition of what a European wilderness and there is this this whole debate about what wilderness is and then people have different perceptions I mean <clears throat> again a lot of the discussion around wilderness talks about the purest view and you can have people you know like me that maybe are, are studying wilderness and and sort of trying to manage wilderness I might have a higher bar than than somebody else and some of the some of the work I've done over the last while has been, Uh, asking people what their perceptions of of wilderness are and and they can vary quite differently you know a lot of research has shown that different types of people can see the same landscape and can view it very differently some people will see it as not that wild other people see it as very wild and you know all in between so again it comes back to understanding what our where our culture is coming from a lot of work needs to be done on that and what triggers our understanding of a wilderness and wildness in our culture because we're different we have a different culture we, we may share the same language as as the british but we have a very different connection to land and landscape and how we think about it and we're different again from from how the germans think about it or we're different from how the finns so that's why i would argue that we need a more a, a more we can have a number of things like we can say it should be On a scale of naturalness, it should be on a scale of remoteness, it should have a certain size, but another layer is how we experience it. What do we experience in it that I would like to see added? I don't know whether that'll happen, but um, I'm trying to work towards getting that introduced as a topic in European wilderness.
0: Just on the wilderness in Ireland, are there any species of creature here in Ireland that would really benefit from the wilderness places, especially, as you said, the forestry areas that are probably at the moment in decline?
1: Well, I mean, pine Martin, um has been a huge beneficiary of, of forests spreading across across Ireland. And, you know, there is, I know there's a report today about, you know, red squirrels in, in native forests as opposed to in conifer plantations but i think one of the things that that i understood from when the pine marten spread he actually was able to control gray squirrels and therefore red squirrels were able to were able to prosper more but i think you know there's you know again this is a matter for sort of scientific debate you know i think you know that you you have a more matrix of habitats so you have maybe some forests and open land and you know some bog land and uh, you know it, it's giving this matrix of habitats i mean for example out in, out in the Netherlands, maybe you know the eagles might be more unhappy there because there's a much bigger area where they're not in competition with farming uh you know they have this you know so uh, you know i'm not a, a wildlife uh, biologist but i think that when you begin to leave places now and you know, I was asked a question about the Neffens, You know, when we were trying to establish it, like someone said, "Well, what, what's it going to be like in fifty years' time?" And and the answer is, I don't know. And I think if we try to predict it, then we're trying to manage it, and then it's it it loses a little bit of its wildness. And the less we try to impact on it, the less you know. And I I have I have slight problems, for example, with. European definition of wilderness is talking about including special areas of conservation as the building blocks of the European wilderness system. Now, the special areas of conservation and the habitats directive requires that areas have to be managed to protect the species or habitat that the area has been designated for. But if you're protecting it, then you're, you're managing it. And I think, you know, it's are we managing or are we allowing nature to get on with it? And that's a very scary thing for people to do. It's a scary thing for for foresters to say, well, we're actually not going to do anything here. We're going to let this forest go. It's a scary thing for, for ecologists because their particular pet species, for want of a better word, may be the one that falls through the cracks because it's not being managed. As humans, we don't like not being in control. And if there's anything, you know, coming back to the, to one of your first questions, you know, what is it? It's about humans not being in control. It's 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 putting our hands in our pocket and saying, let's see what happens here. And uh, I I once stood out in the Neffens and I had um, the director of a of a of a large wilderness area from the state of Maine. Um, he was the director of a place called Baxter State Park, which was uh, a wilderness of 210,000 acres. But I said what's the one piece of advice you'd give me out here? And he said, learn to do nothing. He said, resist the temptation to interfere. And, you know, whether it's putting in, you know, trails, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, going in to take out, you know, there's there's a huge number of debate. You know, do, do we fight fires in, in the place? You know, do we do we control rhododendron? I don't know the answer to all of these, but they're the type of things that when you're faced with, with managing a wilderness, you have to consider. And, you know, managing a wilderness is, is kind of a contradiction in terms, but it's about managing the human impact on the wilderness. I think we can do that in a place like the Neffens. It takes a leap of faith. It takes a certain amount of, of courage to sort of say, we're not going to do anything here. <laughs> we're going to see what happens. Uh, but I think what a great experiment, you know. I mean, you obviously do some scientific, what, what have you got today? And you monitor every 10 years and you see what's going to happen. But we need places like that in Ireland, that they're not controlled by us, they're not managed by us. The guy that wrote the famous Wilderness Act for the United States in 1964 was a guy called uh, Howard Zanisar. And he said, we have to decide whether we're guardians or gardeners. So, guardians can look after something, but gardeners are constantly weeding. I like to think my garden is is approaching the wilderness side. That's why I don't cut the grass,
0: (laughs) don't keep the place tidy.
1: That's my excuse. I think I might try and run with that one myself. It's something that I think it's a kind of a philosophical discussion we have to have as a human race in in Ireland and about in, in some of our land management agencies, like in the National Parks and Wildlife Service. Is it about constant management or is it about? wildness Uh, i would love to see it moving towards wildness because we have a lot of places that we manage and we have we have plenty of that but we can allow places to become really wild and and that might make them more difficult for for hill walking or you know or or camping or whatever but that's the price you pay so that that, that's kind of where i see it it's 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 are we guardians or are we gardeners and i would like to say i would like to see people becoming more guardians than gardeners yeah, that's, that's a very interesting way of looking at it, all right. Yeah, and even
0: looking in, in some small biodiversity areas where I've seen people let things go wild, it, it can encourage nature to come in and, and do its own thing.
1: You know, it's it's great to see the local authorities. Uh, they might be doing it for all sorts of reasons. Some of it might be just cost-saving, but they're they're not mowing places. And when you see the way nature... I mean, I think nature has a huge ability to come back when we stop interfering or when we're not there you know we 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 had talked about it you know near where i live and we have a huge green area near where i live and asking the people could we stop mowing 25 percent of of the green area and like there was just oh no it'll look it'll look raggedy it'll look this it'll look that yeah but nature's messy, you know, um and we had the same discussion like uh, in Neffens was you know, well, some trees are going to fall over and they'll some of it will become a tangled mess and there'll be wind blow and whatever. And I said, yeah, and <laughs> you know there's there's a fantastic project in in the uk uh, about four thousand hectares about so about ten thousand acres. In a valley, if you ever go to the Lake District, go way to the top of the Lake District in a place called Ennerdale. And Ennerdale had a lot of conifer forests and had a a lake, obviously. And then I had some of the some of the best rock climbing. um, And um, I mean, I would love to be a better rock climber. I'm not. My rock climbing days are way behind me. But I I just know looking up to them and, um, you know, rock climbing was almost founded in, in England in this valley. But about, I'd say, 15 years ago, they decided that they would create, they would allow this valley to become wild. And they did a huge amount of work taking out some of the forest and just allowing it, you know, some of it has regrown back with seedlings. When you look at that forest now, it's uneven age forest. It has young trees and old trees. It has trees down. Uh, Some of the trees are going on to be big old veteran trees and the, the wildlife has improved enormously. The the birds in the valley have increased enormously. The river was constantly being canalised and they stopped doing that. So the river can spread out. And the only river that, that doesn't cause any flooding downstream is the one that they've stopped managing because it can burst out its banks and it'll go onto its own natural floodplains and then get back in again. So, you know, this is this is where, um, you know, humans when we allow things to be wild they a lot of a lot of good things can come out of it as well they may not you know look pretty to our eyes but that's about re-educating you know our aesthetic and again you know aldo leopold used to talk about an ecological aesthetic and he he said when things are when things are correct and they're functioning under their own rules then then they're right whereas this this picturesque aesthetic that we kind of live with in our landscape which is entirely imported from from uh, england and uh, that the view of the landscape we have you know these these uh, beautiful estate lands they're, they're entirely unnatural uh, but but they they appear to us and through our culture they have been made appealing to us so that's why i think i would just love to see a debate about all of this and people thinking about it people researching it and and then we begin to think differently about some of our landscapes because, you know, the Midland bogs, they may be flat, but the sky down there is fantastic. And, you know, the silence down there is, is fantastic, you know, when you when, when there is no turf cutting going on. And, you know, those places are just as interesting as, as other wild places. Yeah.
0: Well, one other thing I want to ask you is, uh, what would your hopes be for the future of the wild places in, in Ireland?
1: I, I would hope that we would allow them to be truly wild places, um, yes, and not sort of a, a pastiche of wild places. And that that's going to have to have that change in our thinking about what is a wild place. Is it wild, or does it look wild? You know, I once had an ecologist ask me with the Neffins, like, you know, would you not manage it so it looked wild? And that's just that's just not wild. You know, it it can look it but it's only a pastiche. And I think if we're to truly get the benefit out of these wild places, we accept everything that goes with it. it, it as I say, it could be difficult for us to get through <laughs> and there will be compromises that we'll have to make. Um, I mean, you know, if maybe some of the heather wasn't burnt on, on the Wicklow Mountains, they might be more difficult to, to hill walk across. But in time, what would, what would those mountains become or whatever you know i i don't know the answers to some of these questions but i think they're worth exploring and i think they're worth thinking about because we we kind of have adopted in some ways the idea that habitats reach their climax Uh, so an oak wood will reach its climax habitat and then it'll stay like that but it's constantly going to be responding to environmental changes it's going to be responding to to wind or to to floods or to fire or whatever and Humans have begun to create true climate change, which is what most people, I think, now accept as human-induced. We are creating hotter places. We're creating places where you get these torrential downpours and floods and all that. So the habitats are going to respond to those. They're going to change. And if we're constantly trying to keep all the species that we think was there in in the 1960s into the 2060s, then we may be just fighting a losing battle. Whereas if we accept that there's changes and constant changes, that's the one thing we know is constant is change. You know, I, I would love to see more discussion about habitat, landscape based stuff, as opposed to individual species. Um, and also that we need to be looking at what wildness means and our place and our connection to all of that. And are we prepared to accept the messiness of nature? Because, Nature is messy yeah that's that's definitely true just got one
0: last question for you basically question is how does nature or the wild places inspire you and and what do you personally get from them yourself
1: when i go to i mean even if it's you know climbing a mountain in wicklow or tramping through the woods and mean, last saturday i only had a couple of hours so i went out and tramped through the woods um off the beaten track and uh, didn't see anyone for a couple of hours and there's a little bit of challenge there but I think it's it's the sense of oneness with nature and time to think about our you know and this sounds all very you know I don't actually go along all the time half the time I'm thinking how do I get my am I on the right track and is my navigation okay <laughs> and, <laughs> Will I get across that stream down there? Or is it in flood? But you know, I think overall it's kind of, you know, our place our place in the universe. If if you kind of, you know, that's the big value you get out of it. You know, what, what is our place in the in the universe? And you know, there's nothing I like more than to to sit on, on the mountaintop and just sit there for twenty minutes and, and look out on the on the landscape or you know, to lie back in the heather my days of very extensive uh, long-distance treks are, are probably coming to... Uh, I'm not able to do them anymore. But uh, and, and even places that I know I will never visit, I just like the idea that they're there. Because, you know, I, I, I have two grandchildren now, and I love bringing them out to the woods to just show them, to walk around with them, showing them different things. Because the world that they're going to go up in is going to be so virtual and uh, you know, so much a different reality from what I grew up in. In you know, in the in the sixties and seventies, I, I want to sort of impart that to them because it's I, for me. It's always been important to when you get into when you get out into the woods, put on the boots, and get out there with the rucksack on your back. Sometimes you might come back wet and tired and never, but it's always been a good day. And I would often say that some of the best days I've had on on the mountains are when. When the weather's quite bad and you seeing the the water coming over the cliffs, you know, the the, the rivers and space and everything it's just there's a majesty about it and there's just something to use that awful word, awesome about it. And uh, you know, but it is, you know, it's something that kind of makes you say, Wow, you know, this is bigger than us, you know. So I, I don't know if that answers the question, Robert, but that's that's my best attempt at it anyway.
0: Yep, that did answer the question, and there's quite a lot in what you said there that I could definitely relate to myself. Well, Bill, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you very much You're for welcome. coming. Thank um, you. Hopefully maybe we might catch up again sometime in the future. Okay. Uh, so that's it for us from this evening, folks. I will be back again in February. And Until then, stay safe, get out there, enjoy the wild places, and chat soon. If you want to contact us, then you can do so by emailing us at mountaintoglen at gmail.com or by following Mountaintodlen, the podcast, on Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening.